Hello and welcome to episode one of Inside Telly, a podcast where we discuss the best telly shows and films with the creators or actors starring in them. For today's inaugural episode, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by The Office and in between a star David Schaal to discuss his career before finding out more about his upbringing and his favourite shows and people on the telly growing up. Hi Dave, how are you? Great to have you on the show. What have you been up to recently? Um, very well, thank you, and uh, great to be here. Uh, what have I been doing? Last year was a little bit quiet because of the writers and actors strike in America, which had a knock-on effect over here. But I did do a movie uh, called Bermondsey Tales, which will be coming out this year, and it had um, a lot of very well-known actors uh, like Gary Webster, who uh, took over from Dennis Wa- uh, Waterman in Minder many years ago. It had um, Maisie Smith, who was in EastEnders. I shouldn't say had, it has. Uh, it has Linda Robson in, who's making a little cameo appearance in it. Uh, a lovely actor called Charlie Clapham, who's now gone back into Hollyoaks. So it had had some really nice actors. So I I did that last year. Um, I'm also uh, doing a movie called Shock Jock, um, which is about a radio DJ who has some questionable views. So we shot a little promo clip of it on Sunday. And um, and we're principal photography for that. It's going to begin in June. So I've got a nice couple of little things like that. Oh, good, yeah, especially, like you said, the, the actor strike and stuff. That's just, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of podcasts and stuff, and especially, like, for yourself, because you've, um, you've been in the, in the industry for, for quite a long time. Um, but yeah. it doesn't make it any easier for you, um, to obviously, to come back after that and then getting back into roles. Because I think it's, it takes the, the wind out of your sails a little bit, I guess, in terms of um, aggregating that work and, and keeping it flowing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm always, you know, I'm always doing my own things anyway. I'm trying to get a film off the ground called Heavenly Waters, which I've co-written with um, uh, a friend who's also a producer as well as a writer called Kim Leggett. We now have a director attached to that, a guy called Steve Benderlach, who directed the Mr. Bean movies and Spinning Image and things like that. So we're hoping that's going to shoot later in the year. I've also written a gangster film called Back to Archway, which um, uh, hopefully is going to get made this year. And I've also written a book. So in that gap, you know, where I didn't have a lot of work because of the actor's strike, um, I wrote a book about running because during lockdown, I'd spent my time um, doing the couch to 5K and then uh, building up the distances and eventually ran a half marathon. So, um, so I wrote a book about it. It's called "Get Your Ass Off the Couch," <laughs> <laughs> and it's currently being read by quite a big publisher, actually. Um, so uh, th- there's an editor, a publishing company. I won't say who it is in case they knock it back. Um, but yeah, they're reading it, and uh, so fingers crossed, I might end up with a book deal. Oh, that's, that sounds something that I probably need myself, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Get myself back into the German stuff. Um, no, that, yeah. sounds, that sounds really good. Um, and then ju- just basically one to that, I don't want to, it's not going to be everything that you've ever done, because obviously that that take us, that take, might take us an hour or, or so to get through everything. <laughs> but I just wanted to go through the 
the highlights and stuff and and, and start basically at the beginning like I, I had to check before we started recording that you were born in albuquerque because you see this stuff on like wikipedia and imdb and i'm like i'm not 100 sure if that's true and you've confirmed it's true just before we started recording so tell us a little bit about that and how your, how your childhood began i guess uh, so, yeah, my dad was in the American Air Force, and uh, he, bizarrely, he was actually training to be a Roman Catholic priest um, before uh, he joined the Air Force, and I guess he decided the seminary wasn't for him, so he bailed out, joined the Air Force, ended up in England, uh, met my mum in England, she was a telephonist on the switchboard, it was kind of like we'll meet again, you know, the uh, that American series that was on years ago, about uh, them coming over and marrying English women. So anyway, so five kids later, I'm the middle child. Um, we lived in Germany, Kaiserslautern for a while, and then we lived in Biloxi, Mississippi for a while, where we went through one of the worst hurricanes in history. It's, it's still the second worst hurricane to Katrina, and it was called Hurricane Camille. And uh, bizarrely, this is completely bizarrely, a few, a few years ago, I ended up in a play about that hurricane wow. um, at German Street Theatre in the West End. And, um, yeah, I was playing this doctor who, uh, who, you know, it was like the real-life father of the writer. The writer was a wonderful woman called Koo, uh, sorry, Boo Killebrew. So I was playing her dad, who was a hospital uh, doctor at the time of of Camille, so <laughs> what are the odds of that? You know, but I remember after the hurricane, we came out of these shelters. We were in these hurricane shelters, um, you know, because the some people decided to stay in their homes, but we lived in a trailer park, so we had like a mobile home. So the the air force basically ordered my dad to stay in these cube shaped hurricane shelters, and uh, and then when we came out. We saw the destruction of Biloxi, uh, and they just built a brand new amusement park, which was completely obliterated. And um, and my overriding memory is somehow a cow had been swept in the storm onto the beach. So we saw this uh, dead cow laying on the beach. Sorry, my phone's gone off. I'm not going to answer right. it. Um, yeah, so that was you know it was quite a traumatic. Uh, beginning really uh well i was six years old at the time yeah well that's yeah i mean the whole like experience in that hurricane and, and then being involved in something regarding it i mean the odds on odds on that are, are pretty short aren't it um, yeah it's quite high, unbelievable it? really isn't it it is um and, and yeah I, I think the like i said the likes of stuff that you've done um in your career so far like i said there's, there's too many to mention too many good stuff to, to mention and of course, we have to talk about, um, firstly, the office because I, th- I imagine that's one of the things you get a lot of a lot of yeah. questions about. But of course, we have to speak about it. You play Glyn or Taffy uh, <laughs> in that show. The, um, non, how is the, the non-Welsh Taffy. Yeah, the, <laughs> exactly. Um, how was the, how was that experience for you? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I originally auditioned for Finchie, You know, um, the part that Ralph Innes played. Innocent, yeah. like, um, you know, you know, Ralph talks like that, you know, the salesman. Uh, so I auditioned for that and I did a really good audition. And then Ricky called me in at the time he had this chat show on TV 
And it had literally been on the night before he called me in. And his first guest was Michael Winner. And I'd worked with Michael Winner on a movie. So I said to him, uh, I noticed you you got Michael Winner and he laughed. And I said, I, I basically got shouted at him for four hours on this film called Dirty Weekend. So we laughed about Michael Winner. And then next thing I knew, I was cast as the warehouse manager. But, you know, for me, I thought it was a bit of the consolation prize because I I wanted to play uh, I wanted to play Finchie, really. And in those days, I was very ambitious and, um, you know, constantly, like, comparing myself with other actors. And, you know, people used to say at the time, you're never happy with anything you ever get. You always complain. So there I was complaining. And then next thing I knew, the uh, the office was a massive hit. So uh, so that shut me up for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, that's interesting, though, because you see these type of stories, like... Um, I guess from like Hollywood actors who say, "Oh, what what roles have you turned down, or what roles did you go for and didn't get?" And I, th- I always found it fascinating. Like if if it yeah. would have ended up differently, um, but yeah, that that's that, that's fascinating. And like you said, it was a it was a massive show, and um, and I guess the pla- it was like a platform for a lot. Like, a, <coughs> like you said, Ricky yeah. and Ricky Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, uh, Martin yeah. Freeman. A lot of actors yeah. made made the name and made that like a platform, I guess. From from there, what was it like working with? Like you mentioned, Ricky. There, what was it like working with him? All well, time? he was great. I mean, he was exactly as you see him on TV. You know, he was laughing a lot. I remember we did the uh, the warehouse scene. You know, the my dog shagging his dog scene, <laughs> and uh, and Sterling Gallagher who plays the boss comes down, and I go, "You be next, Gaza likes him posh." And he goes, oh, you know, a bit insulting in a way. You know, and I remember all this dialogue. And um, and as she goes out, I had a line. that went, what she needs is a good shagging. And he gave it to this um, background artist, you know, uh, as extras, as we called them in those days. So I said, what are you doing, Ricky? That's my line. You can't give it to it. He went, no, no, it'd be great. It'll be great if someone else, you know, shouts it out. So I remember thinking at the time, you can't do that. and i look back on that scene now and i think that was fantastic you know it's absolutely right that someone else chipped in you know but it was yeah it's a scene that people often ask me to to repeat and he was he was so good ricky and a friend of mine pointed out how good he is at listening when he's acting because he's you know i don't know if he'd had any acting uh, experience at the time. He certainly had no acting training. But when you watch him in the scenes, he's so good at listening. You know, he's so um, he's so in the moment. And I actually, you know, as an actor, I learned a lot from watching him. And then by the time we did the Christmas edition, everyone was famous, you know. So I went in and did the Christmas edition. And I, I hadn't really been in the main series that much. And uh, and I was working with Elizabeth Berrington, who's playing this like pregnant woman. And I remember being absolutely freaked out because suddenly this thing had become a massive hit. And I was actually more nervous doing the uh, the, the Christmas edition than I was doing, you know, the original series. And then I had to smoke, which also used to make me feel weird because um, yeah. I wasn't really a smoker, you know. Um, but anyway, so I do this, I had a lot of dialogue, which when um, you think we care as much about your baby as you do, we don't. 
So we had, I had a lot more dialogue there, and he, he chopped some of it. And then he said to me, and I thought, you know, I was paranoid in those days. I was thinking, why is he chopping my dialogue? But the only reason was because it was a bit overwritten. So I was like, oh, am I not very good, you know? And then he said to me, Rick, he called me over. He said, Dave, Dave, watch the extras' faces every time the camera rolls. They shit themselves. And I was thinking, is that directed at me? You know, paranoia. <laughs> and then, he, of course, he goes on and makes that series extras. So I didn't realize at the time that he was kind of fascinated by uh, by the background artists. So it was it was a kind of a weird time because I hadn't I didn't feel like I was established at that point. But in fact, that Christmas episode is the thing that, along with the uh, the my dog shag and his dog um, warehouse scene, that Christmas episode is the thing that people always want me to repeat you know on um cameo they always want me to um say the beans and muff line because you know? <laughs> I, I say as i'm smoking i say just because you let some useless tosser blow his beans up your muff <laughs> and then tim and dawn again beans muff <laughs> yeah. so yeah it was a you know it was a great experience and the kudos that we all received after that um I mean, actually, a lot of the background artists got very well paid for that because it was in the days where they paid people who were regular fixtures on the set, um, and then they stopped it after that. They, you know, they they only played paid actors who had um, speaking lines after that, and the royalties have, you know, uh, diminished uh, exponentially over the years. So that was kind of a turning point because a lot of people made decent money on that. Yeah, and like you said, there's um, at, at that time as well. Like you said you didn't realize how I guess how big it was going to be. Did could you sense that? No. I mean, no. I, I guess it's hard to sense while you're doing it, like and as, as it's grown. But like you said, it was a, a massive surprise when you when you started doing the Christmas. Yeah, stuff no idea. I had no idea. I thought it was going to be some sleepy little BBC Two thing. And, um, you know, to be fair, I'm not sure anybody could have predicted what happened. You know, I'm the world's worst at judging what's what's going to be a hit. I just assume, you know, everything I do is just going to be a jobbing actor gig. And then, it, you know, I do my work. I enjoy doing the work. And then suddenly when these things turn out to be massive hits, I'm as shocked as anybody. You know, I, I was very aware that Ricky was special, that Stephen was special. There was something about them. They had a very great chemistry working together. Um, he was great with the actors. He was funny. Um, he was like an overgrown school child, really. Um, <laughs> and I liked him and Stephen a lot. But who can predict what's going to be a hit? You know, as William Goldman said uh, in his book about writing nobody knows anything and you really don't you know yeah. it's hard it's hard to predict what's going to be it yeah and like you said the with ricky and and steven i think i don't know if the term legendary is too much but i think legendary in terms of like the corpse inside the thing and you said like the takes and stuff was that was yeah. that a problem where ricky would just ruin takes what i don't rem- i don't remember him doing too many of those when i uh you know i think when we were doing the warehouse scene it just kind of flowed really well. I mean, we we I just remember having a laugh. I don't remember him 
I, and I, I do remember thinking he must really like me because he's laughing at everything I'm doing. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, you're not like an actor. You're like a proper, a proper geezer. And I said, great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to seem like an actor, you know? Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary because, you know, I turn up to work and I just enjoy I enjoy my, my job. I've got no, kind of say in what's going to happen to the shows and you know who's going to like it and who isn't you know you always hope something's going to be a big hit but the office and then the in-betweeners were i mean who could predict that you know yeah well we'll get on to the in-between i just want to ask you like in terms of like of course we mentioned like the office and stuff and then the whole like um it going over to america and stuff did you have you ever watched the american one at all yeah yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. I think Steve Carell's fantastic. Um, I mean, it's a bit more. He's he's he is as twatty as David Brent, <laughs> but in a different way. Yeah, you know, like he's a bit. He's a little bit cooler, I think, than David Brent in some ways, but every bit as much of a twat. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and Steve Carell's fantastic, you know. Yeah. And that series over there, you see, the thing is in America. They go on for about nine, ten seasons. Yeah. Over here, it's all done and dusted in like two or three seasons. You know, so you never, you never get a proper payday over here. Whereas the actors over there get rich. You know, I think, um, I think the actors on Friends are on like a million dollars an episode, famously. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure a lot of the actors in the office made a hell of a lot of money from that series over the years. Even, you know, the guy who played my part. Uh, the warehouse manager, the big guy. Um, you know, they probably they probably make decent money because what happens in America is when you do a pilot for a series, you basically have to sign up for seven years. You know, oh. they make you sign seven year contracts in the event that this thing becomes a big hit. So over here, you're lucky if you get two or three seasons out of it. You know, it's just a it's a different kind of mindset in this country. Yeah, and I, th- I think especially I don't know if it makes it more special because I think Ricky's quite famous for, um, I guess doing. I, I mean, I guess it's a UK thing as well, making shorter series and stuff. But I think Ricky's yeah. quite good at like wanting to tease you a little bit, I guess, and wanting the public to have more. I think that's yeah. always it makes you want to, I guess, like yeah. ask for Christmas specials. And I'm sure it, I'm sure you get asked all the time, and I'm sure Ricky does as well. Like, are you going to do another special of this in between yeah. us and stuff like that? Um, yeah. And yeah, I think the, the the US one. I think I was just I was so loyal to the UK office because I loved it so much. I didn't watch the US one for ages, and I finally caved. I think it was last year, the year before. And and, and yeah, I guess Steve Carell is he's just he's an amazing actor, isn't he? Um, yeah, I mean it's it's so different. I mean the first few episodes are similar, and then it they kind of take it off in a different direction, and um, you know I just I just think it's you know American humor is similar but different you know american comedies um are often not as low-key you know they sort of have a kind of higher energy and i think that's what i noticed with steve carell's performance you know he's kind of higher energy and you know he does things like plays basketball in it whereas you know the english version of the office is people just sitting around not doing much work you know Nothing much happens. <laughs> <laughs> when it was first out, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a bit of a cough. 
when it was first out, people used to say, um, you know, they don't do anything. No one does any work. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's what made it popular. You know, people kind of really related to those endless hours of drudgery just sitting around having stupid disagreements and, you know. And I, I think the English version is more sort of low-key. But, you know, yeah. the American version is great. I think they did um, they did a great job with it. And, uh, you know, it lives and dies on the David Brent character. So he did fantastic getting Steve Carell to do it. Yeah, definitely. I think they did The Office, like you said, the UK version, uh, I guess similar to, I guess, the royal family in, in terms of like a TV show where not, not yeah. much really happens, but it's, the, it's those little character um, interactions and like the quirkiness yeah. and stuff. I think that's what makes us as people in the uk and enjoy it and, and relate to those people i guess and and the other role that you just mentioned as well of course that we have to we have to talk about is the in-betweeners which again i'm sure you get like you mentioned a lot of a lot of questions um about yeah. of course you played jay's dad in the in that show um in 2008 and again like you said iconic still now six yeah. i mean if I, I feel sick even saying sick it was 16 years ago um but Again, with that one, I guess, like you said before, you've already probably answered it. It's it's hard to predict just how big that would be at the time, but that yeah. has gone on to be a cult classic as well. And again, when we did the caravan episode, that I think that was my first episode. I, so I was filming in this caravan. I can't even remember. I, I think it's supposed to be Canberra Sands. I, I, in all honesty, I can't remember where the hell we filmed it. But it was a really warm day, and I come out. I, I think we did that toilet scene first. And I was carrying quite a bit of weight in those days, you know. And I came out and uh, go, whoa, I'll give that five minutes. You know, I remember my dad doing all that. So there was quite there was quite a bit of that. And then they go, you know, nice crisps, Mrs. Cartwright. And I go, yeah, she opened the packet herself. And I just remembered, I don't know, you know, I didn't think too much about how I was going to play the character. And it just in the moment, people go, where did that come from? And I've subsequently said, I think I might have based it on one of my uncles, you know, who laughs all the time. But really, I, th I think, and I think I probably did. But really, I think I just had that stupid sense of humor myself, which developed, you know, probably from my family, you know, my mum's side, they're all sort of Essex and piss takey, a bit like that, you know. And uh, people go, oh, it's so well observed. And so true to life. You know, I kind of did it instinctively. I didn't think too much about it. And then I did that scene, and then we did the toilet scene, which was freezing cold. We filmed that months later, and that was filmed in North London. And I was bloody freezing. I remember on the way home, I kept going hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. So I'm, you know, semi-naked in these toilets in a park somewhere in Finsbury Park, I think it was. And I got in my car on the way home, and I dozed off momentarily at the wheel and I smashed into this truck in front of me and I remember there was an Arsenal game going on so I think I must have got distracted by you know I was on Holloway Road I must have got distracted by people crossing the road anyway so I momentarily nodded off and these four burly guys got out of their truck and I thought shit I'm gonna get my head kicked in they went you're right I said I'm so sorry I just got distracted by the supporters and four of them lifted the car off the tow bar and then just got back in the truck and drived on. And I thought, 
okay, note to self, if I'm doing a long day like that, especially if it's cold, don't ever drive yourself. You know? <laughs> but in, in those days, you used to get picked up. Um, and I probably elected to drive, but you know, um, but it was, you know, it was a great thing. And I, who knows that that's going to be a big hit. And the first indication I had was we, we had a screening of the first two episodes at a place called Rich Mix in Shoreditch. So I go, I go and watch these first two episodes and I thought, actually, this series is good. You know, that was the first indication I had um, that something incredible was happening, you know. Yeah, I think it's one of those that I think there's been, I guess, again, on social media, people always ask the question that if you could um, change a, a, a show's release date and have it released maybe now, would it have the same effect? I think it, it's all about how good it is, but also about the timing as well. I think the timing yeah. was a, a good thing as well. With that one, we're coming out like the in 2007, 2008. I think that was maybe a, a perfect time for that type of comedy to come out, I guess, as well. Yeah, I guess, you know, I think society moves on. It's always evolving, always changing. What's funny 10, 15 years ago might not be considered funny today, might even be considered offensive, you know? I mean, some of my lines, you know, are very very near near the mark you know and i i do remember not wanting to say that line uh where when uh when jay leaves the caravan i go to try not to rape anyone on the way out and i do remember saying to um i think it was the director at the time you know really do i have to say he said yeah yeah it'll be fine don't worry so i so i said it and that's sort of come back to haunt me a little bit because on National Women's Day, I get gifts sent to me. Or, um, you know, if, like a footballer has been accused of something nasty, like Mason Greenwood. I got that. And that, that sort of makes me feel a bit, mm, you know. And on I, I get asked to uh, do these cameos, so I won't say that line. Um, <laughs> it's another line, which I noticed James Buckley referenced on the uh, Peter Crouch podcast the other day. This one I do say, because it's just a joke anyway, but it's um, women are like fairground rides, fucking mental. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and they go, if they say, my wife wants you to say this line, then, you know, I'll say it, I figure. But, you know, the thing is with me is I do think about these sort of things and I, I try not to do anything that's offensive, but equally I'm playing a character. You know what I mean? And it was at a time where, um, you know, I probably thought it was all right to say to say those things, um, but it hasn't it hasn't come back to haunt me in terms of getting publicly criticised. But um, as you say, I think it was of its time. You know, I'm not sure if you release the same series now with the same dialogue, it would go down quite as well. You know. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I think it's obviously not you because you're playing a role, but it's it's being, um, I guess, associated with stuff like that. I guess yeah. is, is, is the is the type of stuff that is isn't the good side. And I, I guess with social media as well, like there's gifts ready available on every phone and stuff, and you can, yeah. people can create them. It's so it's so easy to do that stuff these days. Isn't I mean, it? it is a bit unfortunate that, that particular one comes back and haunts me a little bit. But if you play a murderer, does that make you a murderer? You know, if you play, uh, you know, a fraudster, does that make you a fraudster? 
I mean, it's it's a particular thing. You know, I'm an actor. I've, I'm given a script. If I don't say it, then I don't do the job. Yeah. You know, it sounds like I'm being defensive. I don't mean to be, but it's no, no. just um, it's just something I think a lot about because you know I don't want to <coughs> I don't want to say things that are gonna you know like upset people. I just, you know I'm not in the business of being controversial really i'm in the business of trying to get work and maintain an acting career you know but there are a lot of other lines that you know i think to this day are still funny you know like um when he calls the dog a shitting machine (laughs) (coughs) you know and i go also it's work experience not standing around being a useless twat experience you know (laughs) a lot a lot of jay's dad's lines are um are funny, but there is, there is, you know, he was a sexist so and so. You know, he talks about Jay's girlfriend being a pig, so you're back yeah. with a pig, you know. Um, so it, you know, when that's shown back to you, it does get a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yeah. But hey, I'm an actor playing a character, so there you go, yeah, exactly. And like you said, the it's it's been so popular, and it's and I guess it still is, especially. Um, I guess for me, I think when it came out, I was like what eight, eighteen or something like that. So I, it, it hit a mark with me because it was so um, you could recognise like the like that type of stuff happens all the day. Like with I guess my dad and my mates' dads and stuff, you'd see that type of stuff every day. So it's it's so um, it's so easy to relate to. That, that's why I think the character is so popular. Let me show you something. I just just bear with me. Yeah. Um, so I think it was. What was it? Five years ago, we did the um, we did the ten year anniversary, and I won this. So this is <laughs> this is the best parent award, and that was nominated by the audience. So you know, my character was very popular amongst the public, and um, you know, and I'm I'm very thankful for that because you know that's the reason why we do it. We do it. We do it for people watching, and. Um, so if people watching like the character, that makes me really happy, you know. I guess I guess the thing with acting is you're very it's not like a traffic warden where everybody hates you. Unless you play a nasty character on a soap or something and people get confused and think you're really that character. <laughs> As happened with Phil Mitchell once when I think some homeless guy beat him up because there was a story where he set fire to the uh, to the homeless people. Oh, um and then I thought, how did a homeless guy get access to a TV? <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, I mean, and I meet people. I mean, this is, it shows the power of television, you know, because I meet people and some of them, their hands are shaking when they ask for a selfie. And I know how that feels because I, I went up to Stuart Pierce at the 100 Club, you know, the ex-footballer and, uh, and sometime West Ham coach because I'm a big West Ham to so I went up to him at the 100 Club and said, you know, it's all right to get a photo. And he looked so grumpy. <laughs> and at the end, I was like, thank you. He's like, yeah, you're welcome. You know, it's probably just, he probably wasn't grumpy. It was probably just his normal look. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, so I, you know, I, I do feel that we kind of have a responsibility towards people to be nice and open and approachable. And I, I've always been that because I know, you know, the, I remember when I was young, I used to watch that um, comedy, The Young Ones. 
And I used to idolize, you know, Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson and, you know, and then I, I met Rick Mail once and I was like, well, you know, he's a star. I'm a bit like that with Gary Oldman. You know, Gary Oldman's one of my favorite actors and I went to the same drama school as he did. And I think to myself, if I ever meet him, I'm going to be like horribly starstruck, you know. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you because just on the in between is just just quickly. So, like, obviously, it's a, it's been massive and it, and and it is to this day still massive. And people, I guess, like I asked you with the with the office, people maybe probably asking like, when are you doing? Are going to do like a reboot? Is there going to be another show with the in between? As of course, there was some films that came out as well, which you were a part of. Yeah, it, would you think it had ever? I guess we've we've probably covered it in like the saying it wouldn't be relatable nowadays. Would you think it could ever come back for like a a special or anything like that? No, because everyone's too old, aren't they? You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, I someone um, posted a photograph of me uh, at West Ham. You know, recognised me and said, "Can I have a selfie?" And it went out on Twitter, and someone went, "Bloody hell, he's aged." So I answered it. I said, "Well." Sorry about that, but that's what happens. He went, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't think you were going to answer. I said, be careful what you write on social media. But I think that's the big problem. You know, I remember, it's like when they try and bring comedies back, you know, and everyone looks older and it's all a bit sad, really. So I I don't think they would do it, you know. I mean, James Buckley doesn't look much older. I don't, you know, I don't know if Simon and, uh, Simon Bird and, um, Blake Harrison and Joe Thomas are aged that much. I haven't seen them, but may, maybe it'd work all right for them. But I think us adults probably have aged. <laughs> but you know, there's, I you know, I, I think what would you write about? You know, how would it work? Because they're they're now all adults, and the humor of the in betweeners is they were twatty kids, you know, in between childhood and adulthood, you know. Uh, or in between the cool kids and the not so cool kids, I think that's that's where it comes from the in betweeners. But yeah. I think um, you know what would be funny about it. The movies were great, especially the Magaluf one. You know that was hilarious, and then they all went out to Australia, which I managed to get on that <laughs> gravy train. I was the only adult who actually got flown out to Australia, so I was very lucky. Um, and I remember Martin Treneman, who played Simon's dad, coming up to me when we were filming the uh, the interiors for the Australia. And he went, how did you manage to get to Australia? And I said, well, what happened was I turned up for filming and Ian, uh, the one of the writers, said to me, Ian Morris, he said to me, uh, what are you doing here? And Damon Beasley went, yeah, what are you doing here? I said, it was in the script that I met. He went, oh, we meant to write you out there. <laughs> so, so I turned up in Australia, and I ended up having three weeks in Australia. I flew my then wife out and, uh, you know, had a great time. So for me, the films are very happy memories, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and just to kind of uh, finish that segment up, um, have you got, I, mean, I guess those two maybe are going to be the answer, but have you got like a a time where you most enjoyed or, or role that you that you that you look back on and go you wish you could you could do it again yeah actually the one i've just done uh in bermondsey tales i played this like completely psychotic gangster which is a character i've always wanted to play and um you know i had a great part in this in this movie 
and uh, working with some great actors like you know Gary and Baz Blackwood and you know who's in Lockstock and um, Charlie Michael Head. Uh, so that that's probably about the best role I've had. And the year before that, I did another film called Miss the Kiss, where I played Sadie Frost's husband. We were called the Oranges. And, uh, you know, we borrow this a load of money off these gangsters and they come back for payback and uh, things happen. But it was, it was, that was great fun. I mean, you know, I, I've, I, I enjoy virtually everything I ever do. You know, they say if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. And I, I think that's absolutely right. You know, there's, there are very few jobs that I haven't enjoyed, even when they've been difficult. I can think of one. I did. Um, you remember the uh, the uh, presenter Johnny Vaughan? Yeah, I do. He had a series out. Um, what was it called? Uh, but I did a day on that, and I had a terrible back problem. And I remember, I remember. I think it's called Horrible. That was it, and it was horrible. The job was horrible. <laughs> You know, I, it was cold and I was playing this police inspector who they captured and he put me in a really tiny uh, closet. And I remember having an argument with him in particular because I didn't like the way he was treating me. And I never used to do that. And then when I stood up to him, he was all right to me after that. But um, that's the only, that's really, oh, and of course, when I did that film with Michael Winner and he shouted at me for four hours, that was... That wasn't much fun. But apart from that, everything else I've ever done, I've sort of enjoyed immensely, you know? Um, yeah. So I've, I've been very lucky, I have to say. Again. Move on to some questions. I'm going to ask every guest, just more related to your favourite shows and um, films going up. So what was your what would you say your favourite TV shows and films going up were? Growing up, well, I mentioned one already, The Young Ones, I used to absolutely yeah. love. You know, and I, I used to know every line, every you know, moment of that show. <coughs> okay. I'll say that again. <clears throat> yeah, so I've already mentioned one of them. Um, <clears throat> the Young Ones was my favourite show growing up, and I used to know every line, every moment of that show. We used to sort of regale, you know, our impressions of every episode at school and talk about this bit and that bit. You know, it was it was such fun. Also used to love Only Fools and Horses. You know, my parents would always watch the the great comedies. George and Mildred, you know, with um Brian, what was his name? Uh Brian Murphy and uh Eutha Joyce, I think her name was. That was great fun. Um Alf Garnet, I used to watch. Speaking of not very PC by these days. There was a terrible series on years ago called Love Thy Neighbor. And um, had Rudolph Walker in it. And basically, it was a show about racism. And, you know, and the, uh, the neighbors would sort of basically insult each other. You know, I won't say on here what they said. But it was, you know, you couldn't broadcast that today. But I remember watching that. I remember watching uh, Mind Your Language, you know, some of the most questionable comedies that have ever been on. Um, what else did I like? Yeah, Only Fools and Horses, I think, was the big one. Porridge. 
anything with Ronnie Barker in, bit of Hancock, used to like Tony Hancock. So I think, and and then my parents would watch movies, and I remember the TV being a big focal point for the fam, you know, for the family when I was young. Um, they also used to have things like Play for Today, which we would watch, and uh, Bouquet of Barbed Wire. I don't know if you remember that. That was a great series. Maybe I was a bit older when that was on. I remember this incredible TV show called Helen, a Woman of Today. Um, about this poor, put upon woman who was married to an alcoholic, who I think was played by Martin Shaw. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm sure if I sat down and thought about it, there'd be a lot more. And then in America, we'd watch the spin off to Alf Garnett, which was Archie Bunker. It was called All in the Family. And, um, oh, of course, Happy Days. Yeah. <laughs> And then the spin-off to Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and then the Mary Tyler Moore show, you know, endless, 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 the shows I would watch as a kid. Yeah, and then just off the back of that then, if there was one show or film that you could star in, what what, what one would you pick? What, from yesteryear? Whatever, whatever you want. Uh, okay, no, the, I've got a more modern one. So... Breaking Bad and The Sopranos, basically. Those are my two favorite, uh, more up-to-date shows. And I, when I was in L.A., because I went over there for about six years running, because uh, I've got relatives who live just outside of L.A., in a place called Chatsworth, and they would put me up. And then I would, you know, I, I managed to get a manager and an agent in L.A., which I still have. And I would go and meet all these casting directors. And I met the casting directors of Breaking Bad, Sharon Bialy, and uh, got on with her really well. And then uh, she gave me an audition. And at the time, I was doing a play. And it's like, talk about shoot yourself in the foot. And I talked to her massively about Breaking Bad and how much I loved it. You know, in, in, put me in it. And then I go up and I audition. I, it was like this big kind of redneck character from the south and i didn't i hadn't learned the lines properly because i was doing a play and i was struggling to learn the lines of a play so i turned up to do this casting and i said to her i'm so sorry sharon i am um, i'm doing a play and i'm struggling to remember line." she went oh it's fine don't worry about it and then i thought that was the worst possible thing i could have done and that was the worst last time she called me in and my mate who lived over there said to me, why the hell are you doing a play in the middle of pilot season? You know, you're over here to get a pilot. You don't want to be doing a play. So <laughs> that didn't go down too well. Um, but what was the question? Yeah, uh, what would I like to star in? So, yeah, yeah. so yeah, I was really hoping that I would uh, get cast in Breaking Bad because that was one of my favorite all-time shows. And, of course, The Sopranos. I had these fancies that I'd be like an English gangster who came over to New York and, you know, did a deal with Tony or whatever. <laughs> Didn't materialise, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird that you mentioned Breaking Bad because, of course, you born Albuquerque and that's, of course, where it was um, where it was set. I mean, I think, yeah, you would have been you'd have been great in Breaking Bad. That would have been lovely to see you that's in. That's why I said to Sharon, I said to yeah. her, you know, I was born where you were shooting that. <laughs> She told me. Uh, she told me a funny story about Andrew Lincoln, actually, because I think, I think they also cast The Walking Dead, and uh, she said the only lie I've ever told 
was how hot it is in, I think it was Arizona where they filmed it. She said, I underplayed the heat in the summer because it it's get, just gets so hot out there that it almost becomes impossible to work, you know. And uh, so she sort of fibbed to Andrew Lincoln about how hot it was over there, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But, um, yeah, so un- unfortunately, you know, the great James Gandolfini is no longer with us. I've seen that film he did with Tom Hardy called The Drop many, many times because I think it was his last film performance. And uh, you just go, God, I'd love to work with that guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you've you probably answered this one as well, but what, and, and this is to, to kind of finish up, um, which actors did you look up to growing up? I mean, you mentioned Rick Mayle and, um, and Gary Oldman as well. Yeah, well, Gary Oldman in particular because... I went to the same drama school. But before that, my two big heroes were James Dean and Marlon Brando. So, you know, even before... No, actually, just after I discovered I wanted to be an actor, I then uh, I then started watching the old movies like Giant, Rebel Without a Cause. Um, uh, what was the other one? I'll think of it in a minute. Uh, he only made three movies, didn't he? Giant, East of Eden, that was it. So... In uh, in London, there, there was a cinema back then called the Scala Cinema, and they would do uh, seasons of like movies of certain directors or actors. So they showed all three James Dean films, and then I'd go down and watch all the Marlon Brando movies, like On the Waterfront, um, yeah, Streetcar Named Desire, Godfather. You know, they'd show they'd show a season of Brando films, and I, I was in I was in Hog Heaven at the Scala Cinema. That was basically my my film education. Then I started dressing like James Dean, you know, and <laughs> feeling like I was like gonna be a, a big star. And then and then I sort of latched on to Brando as well, you know. And then you go to drama school and they soon knock all that out of you. And go, you're you. You know, you can't be someone else. Yeah. But also, you know, basically all the actors in The Godfather, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, James Kahn, you know, Carl Malden, who was in um, uh, Streetcar Named Desire with Brando. Jimmy Stewart, who was in all the Hitchcock movies. I had a lot of heroes. Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney. And then as I, you know, as I got older, then uh, Gary Oldman was uh, a big hero of mine. I, I also love Paddy Considine. I think he's a great actor. Stephen Graham also went to Rose Bruford where myself and Gary Oldman went. Um, you know, another fantastic actor. Um, there's just so many. I like a lot of the Irish actors as well, like Brendan Gleeson, mm. Cole Meany, Liam Neeson, I think, is awesome. I mean, it's just endless. You know, I I really do look up to a lot of these guys because I know, I know how difficult it is to make a breakthrough as an actor. <clears throat> so if you're at the very top of your profession, you know that you've got to be good to stay there. Yeah. And also, a lot of these actors who were uh, in theatre, like Ben Kingsley, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen. I used to watch this series uh, that was on uh, TV some years ago called Playing Shakespeare. Again, when I first discovered I wanted to be an actor, and John Barton was doing these workshops, televised workshops. They had all these amazing actors in it, you know, and um, Lisa Harrow, 
this uh, fantastic actress who did a lot of work with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I remember the younger Judy Dench was in this series. Brian Blessed, <laughs> you know, that guy. Uh, and I, you know, I still, I now teach Shakespeare for a, um, a drama school called The Real Sea. And I still refer back to um, to those workshops because they're, they're just absolute gold when you, you see how it's explained, how to handle the language and the verse, you know. So I think, I think as soon as I got into acting, <coughs> I became a student of the craft, you know. And I've done a lot of theatre work myself. I mean, these days I tend to do more film and TV, but um, I have done actually done quite a bit of theatre over the years as well. So, you know, I have my heroes in all, all different disciplines. I remember when my dad was still alive, I took him to see a production of Buried Child that Ed Harris was in. You know, I mean, extraordinary. And I remember seeing Al Pacino on stage in... Um, uh, American Buffalo. Dustin Hoffman was on stage in uh, The Merchant of Venice. I got to see that. Michael Gambon was a big hero of mine who I saw in A View from the Bridge. Brian Dennehy, who's now died, came over and did Death of a Salesman. So, you know, I, I have a lot of acting heroes. Meryl Streep, De Niro. <laughs> De Niro. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, well, the same ones as any self respecting actor would have, I think. That was episode one of Inside Telly with the amazing David Schall. We'll be back with another episode and another TV star next week, which I'm excited to share with you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dave's stories just as much as I did. If you did, please share it as much as you can on social media or whatever you wish, and I'll see you next week for episode two.